Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? All right, my name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church. And uh, for those of you who are usually doing here first service, welcome to second. Uh, Daylight Savings does that to people. I'm so glad that we are all here together, though. And uh, for those of you watching online, uh, due to the fact that you're sick or you don't want to be sick, uh, I'm glad you're here as well. And just let us know where you're watching from. We'd love to uh, connect with you. Also, um, we, th- we love questions here and snarky comments. And last week, I only got like one question. And it was like a repeat question. So please uh, give me your thoughts and questions and-, and let me know what you're thinking. I love to talk about that during the week and it gives me good fodder for it. So that's your job. You have a job here uh, while you're listening. Active listening is like questioning while I'm talking. So how fun is that? Okay. One of the things we're doing here is we're in the middle of a sermon series called Freedom, and it's in the book of Galatians. In fact, if you don't have a Bible somewhere around you, or or there is a Bible somewhere around you, and if you don't have one, this is our gift to you. We would love uh, for you to have a copy of God's Word, and we're going to be on page 974. I've been working through um, this book of Galatians because we've been uh, really coming around this idea, and you've noticed I've uh, only had, it's like uniforms, which is really great in the army. I've been wearing the same shirt for the past six weeks, and it it does wonders for my wardrobe. So anyway, uh, and all these shirts mean it's our identity is in Jesus. He came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he's coming back. And what happens for a lot of us, we like to add in something like this. It goes, he came, he died, he rose, uh, he, uh, he ascended. We got to do a lot of good stuff before he comes back. Or he, died, or he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and you better watch out because he's coming back. All right, so we sort of, sort of transitioned what was supposed to be all about Jesus, and we made it somehow all about us, which is how we do life, isn't it? Like something, you know those people you get in conversations, they somehow make it about them, and you're like, how is that even possible? Like this, we're talking about, anyway. So that happens for a lot of us. Now, and one of the things I've been studying this week is um, one of the great Christian writers of the 20th century, A.W. Tozer. Does anybody know who A.W. Tozer is? Do I have like a couple? Okay. All right. So A.W. Tozer, he said this, ready? Here's like the big thought. The most important thing about you, the most important thing about you is what you think about. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And, uh, that sort of, that's been on my mind uh, this week as I've been preparing, and um, the, the thing that's neat is my son Austin, uh, he's my oldest son, and um, about when he was three or four years old, he tells a story about him hearing God's voice, and, and I go, What's that? what do you mean hearing God? He said, well, I heard God speak to me, and I'm like, well, what did he say? He said, my name. I said, what do you mean he said your name? He said, Austin Pleckenpole, and then he goes, but he had your voice. And the funny, it's not like, he, you know, he tells that story when he's three. He keeps telling the story, right? So the story hasn't gone away. And uh, which kind of is sort of a scary thing, right? That I am now, like my voice is in his head is what God's voice would sound like. And so therefore I am kind of a proxy for God. And I would say that parents have that role as proxies for God. And what can happen is we can jack it up. Which I'm like, man, I'm just going to start and sign up for counseling here in a year or two. I'm like, so there's this reality that I have like on me this sort of weight that, that um, as a dad, like this is a big deal. And whenever I've sort of talked about this in the past, I kind of just would, I don't want to say flippantly, but I would just you know, talk about the thought of like there's a reality that we view um, 
our dads, or our view God as a blown up version of our dad. Like we sort of just do that. And that's no big deal if you're not a dad, but all of a sudden you are a dad, you wonder what you're becoming. So let me, I just want to go through like some of uh, the ways that uh, you may have had a father that portrayed God as something. Because here's what's, here's what's interesting. Remember, Jesus, the number one thing he compares God to is what? A father. In fact, when he teaches us to pray, the first word he uses is father. So if there's a way that, that the enemy can jack up our relationship with God, he would intrude upon that with jacking with the nuclear father. And so watch, here's sort of, this is what we've, we have a wrong view of God because some of us, we've had a, a judge dad. And judge dads, uh, they're not necessarily bad dads, but what, what comes primary for judge dad is that rules come first. Rules, obey the rules, and then relationship later or relationship maybe. And that ultimately leads to a sense of rebellion, right? Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And so what it looks like is this, is that your, your performance is all that matters. Like you show up, you start doing um, things, and God will reward you. And so that's sort of how we view it. In fact, <clears throat> I always, always compare um, the judge dad, if I was going to personify him, it'd be like Bill Belichick. You know you're going to win. And, but all he usually says to you is do your job, right? That's, that's about all you're going to get. And even if you're Tom Brady, you're not really sure where you stand in relationship to him. And so you're always trying to renegotiate your contract. You with me? Okay, you guys with me? If that's a football analogy and you're like, Chris, it's not even football season. I dealt with that all football season. Stop it. Okay, I'm sorry. We'll keep moving. But I feel like that's where some of us come. Do, it's a do your job dad. All right. Oh, then also some of us have an absent dad. And whether he may not actually have been absent, but he was just very passive. Like, he was there, but he never had any pants on. You with me? And so what would happen, what happens with, with this dad is that um, he, he, he has relationship somewhat when he's around, but there are no rules. And so what happens is that you can either, either you abuse your relationship or he abuses the relationship, and whatever happens, it's, he has no power, and all he can offer you are platitudes. In fact, my dad may have been in this category, uh, and his, his platitude he offered me, this is kind of like his life motto, I'd rather be lucky than good. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like I, and that was kind of like the, what he passed on to me of like great sayings. Like as daddy always said, rather be lucky than good. And you're like, what is he saying? Anyway, so that might be where you're at. And so um, that's what, what happens with the absent dad is just this order of sort of longing. What happens was built in with you have an absent dad who has no power. You become self-reliant and you start to figure it out yourself. You start to take control of things. In fact, you may have taken that, I had to take control when I was a kid, and now I got to take control in my marriage. Now I got to take control at my job. Now I got to take control in, my, in all things, okay? And then, how about thirdly, thirdly, there's a random dad, and this might be where I fear I'm always at, because I, I have tendencies in all sorts of places, and I'm like, because what can happen is you can be like, oh, we're disciplined today, and then the flip side, you kind of like come in, and then you're like sort of like very passive. You know, you, you're doing all sorts of things, and then all of a sudden what happens for kids uh, that grow up in a um, random dad world is they don't know which dad is their dad, and they're confused. Confused. And so you don't understand or you don't can't wrap your head around exactly who your dad is, and you're never really sure, and you can't really trust him because you don't know really where he's coming from. So when we put that onto God, it makes it very difficult for us to have a relationship with him. So if what you think about when you think about God 
is the most important thing about you. Getting it wrong would then jack up your relationship with God and then probably would mess with your relationship with other people. Because let's just kind of, what is a dad supposed to be? A dad is supposed to be one who is strong and protective, gives guidance, is giving wisdom and discipline. And at the same time is giving love and deep care and celebrating what is great in a kid. And we, we know that. We know that dads are there to train us, not to abuse us. We know that dads are there to um, inspire us, not to put a thumb on us. And even what I've learned is that as a dad, I could, in just out of frustration or friction or just like, I can mess it up. And all of a sudden, I've given my kid the wrong view of God. Okay? Now, can I just kind of put everyone at ease? Um, God is in control and sovereign, so this isn't about you and your poor fathering, okay? All right? It's about you and your relationship with God, which then ultimately translates to everything else that you do, including parenting, okay? So we're going we're gonna to walk through that this morning, and um, we are going to open up God's Word to the book of Galatians. We're going to be on page 974 in the Bibles that we have here. And uh, we're going to start at Galatians 4. But let me just do a quick review of where we went. So Galatians 1 and 2, we've, we've been going through every verse here. Galatians 1 and 2, essentially it was Paul was defending his apostleship because people in Galatia, a.k.a. Turkey, and it's not like one church in Galatia, it's like Galatian churches all along the, the southern Mediterranean seaboard were, uh, where he planted them were saying, like, I, we had these Jewish Christians come from Jerusalem who are more legit because they told us about all these rules we should be following. So clearly, you're not a real apostle because you didn't tell us about all the rules we we're missing out on. And that's where Paul defends his apostleship. And then he goes, no, no, it's not about rules. It's not about even cultural things. It's about salvation by grace through faith. And he defends that. And then, and then um, chapter 3, it's salvation has always been by grace through faith, and he opens up the Old Testament and reveals the promise of God to Abraham, where there were no rules. It was just a promise where God said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to bless you, and it's going to be for your offspring, who ultimately is Jesus. But on the flip side, there was Moses, who was given the rules, and he's gonna, he explained that the rules were there as a guardian or a tutor until the time which Jesus came, who would fulfill the law, and then we would be, we'd uh, inherit the promise through Christ. And so he explained that last week, and so then he's saying, so therefore, we're going to get to this week, it's time to act like sons. But if you have a messed up view of dad, you're going to go back to that which has enslaved you. So watch this. We're going to start verse 29 of chapter 3, and then we're going to go into chapter 4. Um, but before we do that, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to speak super clear to our hearts. God, I'm so grateful that um, you remind us of your great love for us over and over and over again, that you are a father. And I thank you for that. And you want what's best for us and what's best for us is you. <laughs> and so God, um, when we get stuck in our ways of the world, and when we get stuck with our hearts being focused on so much and what people said about us to us, we'll be reminded of what you've said to us about how much you love us. Lord, let that just seep into our soul as we understand what it is to rightly view you as a father. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right, so verse 29 of chapter 3, that's where we're going to start because last week kind of ended on, it's not about your performance, it's Christ's performance. It's not about your shame, Christ took care of your shame. It's not about your tribe, whether it's racial or socioeconomic or uh, cultural. It is all about Jesus. And so therefore, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you, the promise that God made to Abraham, he said it was for his offspring, and by faith you believed in Jesus, who is the actual promise he's talking about. Bam, you are an inheritor of the promise. And I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. And though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. I, I want to pause real quick right there um, because I feel like this is really sort of complicated to understand. Uh, let me use something in our culture that might be, okay, Batman. Let's go with Batman. All right, remember um, Bruce Wayne? His parents are murdered when he's a, he's a kid, all right? And who, whose care is he placed under? Alfred. So he, has, he is the heir. He's the gazillionaire that's going to be one day Batman, <laughs> all right? But he is under Alfred's care until the date set by his father, and then he is over Alfred. Does that make sense? And so that's sort of what we're talking about here is that the law had its purpose to tutor us until the day Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and now we have complete access. The second we have faith in him, we are heirs to the promise and we have access to the God, we have access to God, and we have access to all of his blessings in him. Okay? So then, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There's lots of definitions of what elementary principles of the world means. It could be like, my flesh, like, I just, I don't know what I do for what I want to do, I do what I do. It's like, I just have this desire to sin. That is one view of it. But I think it's more like this. Elementary principles of the world is the way the world operates. We negotiate, we barter, we bargain. When it comes to cable, you renegotiate the thing every year because they always have new uh, rates that are coming. You tell them you're leaving, then they'll say, oh, just kidding, I've escalated this and my boss can give you the new, new rate. So just in case you're wondering how that works, ask my wife. Okay. Uh, so what happens is every, every, there's this place that we operate according to the principles of the world and the principle of this world is transactional. Transactional means I do a service, I get paid. Okay, that, that's the way the world works. Now, what happens is when we start to view God as a slave, we start to view him as someone we need to pay. And so in other words, a wrong view of God enslaves us. So let me, let me try and, and get this sort of, you know, there's one thing that's on everybody's minds because it's on everybody's social media is the coronavirus, okay, right? The coronavirus, you guys have heard of this? Has anyone not? All right, all South by Southwest is not happening because of this thing. And so here's what uh, a person with the wrong view of God has this, this is how they deal with the coronavirus, all right? So if you have judge dad as your dad, and you've sort of viewed God as the great judge, you would say God is fair, and he's very powerful. Uh, and then you would say, he won't allow me to get it because I've been really good. And so I'm going to post my memes about all you foolish people and how you're all going to die, and I'm going to laugh at you and your apocalypse at Walmart, right? Um, because I'm not getting it because I've been a good person. Or, or... You might say, maybe I haven't been that good, but I will be, right? Let's, God, you just get me through this, and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Just don't let me get it. Don't let me get sick. Or, or you might put it this way, if I can just be good enough, I won't get it. And what you've revealed, this is where your heart is, and this can get kind of scary and personal, is that you're really just afraid to die. 
And as long as God gives you what you want, you'll do what he wants you to do until there isn't a crisis anymore. That's transactional. That's providing for my religious goods and services. Some of you have been coming to church for your whole life. You show up, you shut up, you pay up, and you get your religious goods and services. And when you don't like it, you leave for another place that's going to provide you better religious goods and services. Is that too personal? But that's what we do. I mean, we, I, want, I want it the way I want it, and if you preach or don't preach what I want to hear, then I'm going to go somewhere else where they will do what I like. If they can, I'm going to go. And so, and so now you use leverage because we negotiate everything. That's the, that's the culture of our American culture. All right? So it, it's not right or wrong, it just is. And, and the problem is when you review that or bring that view into how you interact with God, you start to get judgmental about the church, you start to get judgmental about God, and you start to get angry about people. Okay? Then, if, let's, say, let's take this, if you have the absent dad, then um, what happens is, is you look at God as powerless. And God is powerless. I mean, he might be there for you on the emergency when you just throw, throw a Hail Mary, but you really weren't depending on him anyway. And so what happens, you learn how to become self-reliant. Okay, so when it comes to the coronavirus, you'd say, God at least gave me a brain. I know how to protect myself. And so I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy out every um, mask, surgical mask I can possibly find. And then I'm going to get extras just in case, you know, the first 50 break. And listen, I know there's other people who might need them, but listen, you know, they should have been gotten the store a little earlier. They were silly and unprepared. Okay. So the reality is, right? The reality is um, I can't help anyone because I might get contaminated because it's up to me to stay alive. And then it comes back to really the issue is I'm afraid to die. I'm not saying that like, we should all just like, have like, death wishes. I don't want you to hear that. But when your ultimate fear is death, then you have a low view of heaven and a low view of God. God is only someone that can transactionally get you what you want. And maybe you learned that because he was a judge or maybe because he was absent or passive and somebody else wore the pants in the family and it made you sort of like, I don't know who I can trust. And then finally, finally, let's say you have a random dad and your view of God is just random. God will work for me but he might not work for you. In fact, I, I believe God can do something for me, but the ones I love, he can't help. Or flip, flip that, God is helping everybody else, and you would pray with people that God's going to heal you, God's going to save you, but when it comes to you, you have panic attacks. Like you are literally just paralyzed by your own fear because somehow God can help them, but, they're not gonna help, but he's not going to help you because he's random. And that might come from a combo God of, of some sort of like combination of being passive and judgmental or, or what of authority figure you've had in your lives and the trauma sort of affected you in that way. And so what I want you to do is that no matter what happens, if you have the wrong view of God, you're enslaved to that. And it's not just coronavirus. That just sort of brings up a real thing. But if, if it's your job, then God, if you get me this job, I'll do whatever you want. God, if you get me that relationship, then I will do, I, listen, as long as I'm married, I will do whatever you want me to do. As long as I can have a kid, as long as I can have whatever, you, you put the thing on it. It's transactional. And so what we do is we say, what we're really saying is I want to be God and I want you to serve me. And that becomes the wrong, obviously, view of God, but it enslaves you to the circumstances being just right. Does that make sense? Okay, now, so what's the right view of God? Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So God sends, right? He, he sends his son to live under the law like man, 
I have the elementary principles of this world be kind of inflicted upon him, and then he redeems those by living out the law perfectly. He redeems those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Can I just give you a fun thing that I learned this week? This is like, I learned this this week. You ready? You ready for this? Like, you're like, this would be a taking notes time because I learned it, so therefore it's a big deal. All right. That comes off like I know everything. I really don't. This is just, it was fun to bring. All right, so in in uh, the epistles that Paul writes to the Galatians, Ephesians, and Romans, whenever he talks about becoming a child of God, it's his adoption. Okay? It's an adoption motif. Okay, So to Gentiles, adoption is seen as um, a, uh, that's how you become a child of God. Whenever John, like gospel writer John writes, it's born again motif. So in the gospel of John, John 3.16, or John 3, you have to be born again, right? Uh, in 1 John, uh, you are born of God. So there's this. So when you're writing to the Jewish audiences, it's born of God. When you're writing to Gentile audiences, it's being adopted. And there's a reason for that. In Jewish families, that when you were born into the family, there was no disowning. That was you were taken care of for life. That was never an issue if you were like because they because Jewish people valued life. Okay, now watch. In Roman culture, you could disown for just about anything. If you weren't, uh, if you did, if you looked weird, if you had some deformity, like ah, it's not going to go well for my you know social caste system, and so you could disown. But watch, watch this. When somebody adopted another person in Roman culture, and it wasn't like you were adopting babies, right? Nobody in Roman culture was adopting babies for the most part. When you adopted someone, it was because you had a, a massive amounts of wealth or had wealth, and you wanted to adopt someone to take on your name and your legacy and the responsibility for you when you got older. So you would adopt somebody, and you wanted that person to be really healthy, probably really wealthy, and really wise. And so you'd, you'd choose really carefully. And so when you chose them, you could not disown them. Now, does this make sense? So whenever you're talking to Gentile audiences, he's saying, listen, God has adopted you. There's no takebacks. Because isn't that sort of like your fear? I mean, a couple years ago, we had um, a family here adopt a kid who got taken back, like literally taken back. Like, this didn't work out for our family. Our family's worse off than before, so we're going to take the kid back to the orphanage. And then, thankfully, it's one of our people at our church adopted him. That's like, what? Who would do that, right? But that's exactly sort of like the fear that people have. So when you talk about God adopting you, there are no, eh, this didn't work out. It's I'm taking you in for forever. All right, that's why that adoption is such a big deal. And then that's why this next piece is really huge. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba is the same term that uh, Abba, that's like what little kids run up to their daddies and say, Abba, Abba, Abba. But it's also the same term that 60-year-old men call their 85-year-old dad, Abba. You know what you don't call your dad? Their first name, right? Like that is, that is disrespectful, right? So, uh, Austin, he went through a season where he liked calling me Chris and Adrian, Adrian, and we had to have a chat about how that's not appropriate because it's disrespectful. But isn't it more intimate to call us daddy? But there's respect there, isn't it? There's, no, there's nothing like papa, daddy, there's nothing disrespectful about them. In fact, there's much respect because you're not calling me by my actual name, you're calling me by my relationship. Now, look at that, that's important. Because what happens, especially if you have an absent dad, you call him by his first name, or maybe, isn't that true? Isn't that true? In that, that reality, there's like distance there. There's distance there with the first name. 
how about this? When you have, when a, when a friend has a nickname, you call him by that nickname. That's a relationship. And if somebody else calls you by, I had a buddy of mine named Mouse that we grew up in high school. Nobody else would call him Mouse because that's weird. But I, I could call him Mouse. Does that make sense? So, so the the Abba is a intimate word. And here's what it says, right? It's it says this. <clears throat> Because remember, we said relationship plus rule equals real love. So God sent the Spirit into our hearts that redeemed us. Or sorry, God sent the Spirit into our hearts. That's the relationship that we didn't have. And then God sent the Son into the world. That's the rules. He took care of the rules when he redeemed us. And then because we had all broken, messed up relationships with our dad, watch this. He sent his Spirit into our hearts to teach us it's Abba Father. Because we don't get that. Because, because we had judge dad. We had absent dad. We had random dad. We had... A myriad of fathers, all sort of different kind of combinations of maybe abusive, maybe frictional, maybe just antagonistic, maybe doubting, maybe crushing your soul with the amount of pressure he put on you. But that's not the God of the universe. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to come inside our hearts and say, Oh, but Father, thank you, finally, I couldn't figure it out. Now, here's, here's where this gets tough, right? When we understand this, that we are adopted to view God rightly as daddy, um, there's this, what does that mean? And, you know, for me as a dad, there's, I'm always just terrified I'm going to be like over judge dad or I'm over absent dad because I'll, I'll, you know, working and churching and all the things and the most, you know, it's like the cobbler's kids have no shoes because I'm ministering to everybody else, but my kids don't hear about the gospel. That'd be really sad. Or, or right, so there's always, I'm sort of like, ah. And um, what, one of the things that uh, happens for us is bedtime. Do, does anybody have an issue with bedtime? Okay, so let me explain bedtime at our house. It goes something like this. <clears throat> really calmly. Austin, Jet, and Titus, here's the plan. I'm going to put you in your bed, and you're not going to come out. And then you walk away. And then for the next hour, get in your bed, get in your bed, you, in your bed, in your bed. Titus, for the... Get in your bed. Right, we're going to put you back in your crib. We'll do it. Uh, don't get off of him. Get in your own bed. Just, oh my gosh, stop it. Right? Okay, does anybody else know what I'm talking about? All right. So, so what happens is I could send off about a thousand commands of all the threats and all the stuff of everybody. You're going to be an absolute train wreck tomorrow if you don't sleep. It's daylight savings for crying out. We're already losing an hour. I already know you're going to be cranky. Okay. Okay. Right. Sorry. Was that a, was a flashback? I'm sorry about that. I'm back. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. So, okay. So the other night, um, we went through that and then Austin comes downstairs and Adrian and I had just settled in for... Hawaii Five-O, okay? <laughs> and there's Austin in his jammies and a blanket going, Daddy, I can't sleep. And I, everything inside me wanted to go, I don't care. <laughs> and so there's this moment where I sort of just checked myself. I was like... I, you know, you hear God going like, go be with your son. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because he needs to go be with his bed. <laughs> so I, I said, Austin, come here. And so I took him outside and I noticed that Jet was like on the, on the stairwell. I was like, Jet, come here. So we walk outside and it's, it's, it's Texas, but it's 
not normally cold, but it was cold, and they had their blankets. So Anna and I said, we had their blankets, they're cold, and we go outside, and I have this large swing. It's a four-person swing, all right? This thing is amazing. We have this amazing front yard tree, and it's the glow scorers thing. And so what I do in the summer is I just lay in it and just have uh, kids running around. As long as I don't hear traffic, I feel pretty good about it, right? <laughs> Neighbors get really nervous about it. Anyway, so, uh, so I get into the swing, and I pull my boys close to me, and I go, we're just going to be with each other for a second. And they go, what do you mean, Dad? I said, just, I want you to look up into the sky. And the moon was sort of shining through the leaves, and uh, it sounded like we we're on an old ship as the, the, as, as the ropes creaked back and forth as our swing gently rocked. And we just talked. Daddy, why is the moon moving? And then my little alarm of five minutes went off and said, Daddy, can we stay here for five minutes more? And we stayed for five minutes more. And as we got back and we got into the house and I put him in bed and they didn't get out after that. So grateful. What it kind of, this sort of thought sort of hit my heart of like, that's what it is to be with the Father. Watch this. When, do you know when people talk about a quiet time? Do you guys ever heard that term? That's when you intentionally spend time with God and you read his word. And some people get really anxious about it because they're like, I got to get through my book Bible in a year. And what can happen is you miss out on the being with him where you lay down and you take time, and you be. What I think happens for a lot of us is we get really wrapped around being human doings. And we missed, about, missed out on being human beings with our Father in heaven. And so here, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Is that God wants to be with you. The next day, the next day, um, Jet comes down and... Uh, it was after he had gotten home uh, from school. And he goes, hey, Daddy, will you come be with me on the trampoline? And then he goes, or, or come be with me. And this, this, the phrasing was just really crazy. Will you come be with me on the trampoline? Or would you be with me and play video games? Or would you be with me and play Pokemon? Or would you be with me and do a puzzle? Just, would you, we can do whatever you want to do. Would you just come be with me? Well, now you've, you've struck my heart. Now I'm like, what do you want to do? You with me? You with me? This is your father. That's, that's how we view him. When you say, I just want to be with you because I know, watch, here's what daddies do. They, they're safe and they're strong and they guide and they love and they direct and they say, I want to be with you. And as long as I am with you, the whole world could be against me. It don't matter. So we say this, would you be with me, father, at work? Would you be with me, Father, in my marriage? Would you be with me, Father, at school? Would you be with me, Father, in all those places where the circumstances start to fall apart? Would you be with me when I die? You never end. I want to be with you. And that is how you view God rightly as daddy. His rules, his way, his love, his protection, his guidance, his wisdom. And he is greater than the circumstance. And it changes everything. But we don't do that. Watch verse 7. Watch verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son and, or daughter. 
And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Like your job, like that relationship, like your children, like the house, like the having a better house, or social media, or whatever the thing is. But now that you have come to know God, and I love this line, or rather be known by God. Isn't that cool? We th- here's what happened. I, when I came to Jesus, I found Jesus! And then, and then the whole time later on, I was like, wait a minute, I think he found me. Because yeah. I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to know where to go. And Jesus set up the circumstances, and I played it back. I was like, huh, how'd that work? Anyway, so he came and got me because he chose me, and he wanted to adopt me. It wasn't an accidental adoption. It was like, oh my gosh, that one? I have to take that one too? No, it was like, I get that one. That's the one I want. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Why would you go back to negotiating with God and the world when you have this intimacy there waiting for you? Why? Why would you do that? That makes no sense. And here's how the Jewish, or the, sorry, the Christians that were uh, in Galatia were doing it. Watch this. You observe days and months and seasons and years. And he's not like anti-calendar. That's not what he's saying. Um, he's pulling out what this is talking about, the three primary Jewish feasts, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and the uh, tents. All right, no, Passover is when the Jews were freed from Egypt. And so you, you remember that by uh, having a Passover feast where you, you know, take the lamb and all that really cool th- ceremony that represents them the freedom from Egypt. Then Pentecost is the 50 days after that. It's the freedom of or the, the experiencing the joy that God brings through the harvest. He's always providing for us. And then Feast of Tents is the celebrating the 40 years in the wilderness that God protected the Jews. All great things. But you know what the law required? Everybody that's a male has to go back to Jerusalem no matter what. So when you have to obey the 613 laws, okay, you're like, what about the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are great. I'm not saying the Ten Commandments thumbs down, but there is not the fulfillment of the law. The cultural law was fulfilled by Christ. So stop adding on elementary principles of the world, which is a, a, a contract with God, so to speak, of I do this, you do this, and that's what the Mosaic Law was. It was a tutor to then help you understand what sin is. And the unfortunate thing, or fortunate thing, is that it separated the Jews ethically with the moral laws. It separated the the Jews culturally because of the ceremonial laws, like these feasts. And so what would happen is that if you started, you have to be ceremonially a Jew first before you can become a Christian, aka he came, he died, he rose, he ascended, get circumcised, and then he's coming back. That would be a weird one to put in here. That would just be an, that would make shirts unwearable, Okay. All right, so uh, what, that's what he's saying, okay? That's what he's saying. And now, so look, he said, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain because you're listening to these guys who are wanting to enslave you with a cultural motif that isn't for you. Look, see, daddies want their children to act like children, not like slaves. In the army, I had this phrase that I used a lot. It goes, when in charge, be in charge. What that meant was, Make a freaking decision when it's your decision to make. Don't just pass it off and guys say, hey, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Make a call. We'll do whatever you want to do. Make a decision. Now, watch. When a son, be a son. When a daughter, be a daughter. Don't go back to the principles of this world. Be all in with Jesus. 
And here's how we can do this, right? Here's how we can go back is we start to bargain with God. And, and listen, do I get bargained with by my kids? Yes, I do. All right, it goes like, something like this. Hey, Austin, you did a really great job. Daddy, what are you going to get me? <laughs> well, I, uh, what do you want? You know, that, that's where we go, right? Okay, now watch, watch. We have, I had this happen, and we were in the car. It's like, Daddy, I did something really great. What are you going to get me for that? I said, well, you know, maybe we can do a food treat, like an ice cream or something. He's like, what about a Pokemon GX? And I don't know if you know what that is. It's expensive, okay? I'm like, I wasn't thinking it was that good. <laughs> All right, watch, watch. And then I said, Austin, one of the things I need you to remember is that Daddy's proud of you whether you do anything good or not. I love you when you make good choices and when you make bad choices. It makes daddy happy when you make good choices, but I love you. I'm proud of you, and you're my boy. And then after the negotiation, I said, ah, I don't really want to do any of that. He said, I'll never forget. He's like, it's okay, daddy. I don't need anything. And in that moment, I'm like, he got it. He's not looking to negotiate. He's looking to be a son. Now listen, as a, as a son of God, I ask dad for all sorts of stuff all the time. And sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. But what I've learned is that my heart for him cannot be based on his hand for me. My heart for him can't be based on his hand for me. It always has to be in this, that I trust him, because I know that I want the best for my son, and I sometimes say no because I don't want to spoil him. I don't want to have like, a, um, like an attitude of non-gratitude. I want him to love and cherish every single thing. And it gets so hard to do that when I love him so much. I want him to have every single thing. But until he's able to handle it, he can't receive it. Watch this. You know when somebody said to you, if you're single, you'll get married after you stop looking. You probably heard that and you wanted to shoot them. Remember that? <laughs> All right, remember? Okay. All right. So they're sort of right. Sort of right. It goes like this. When you're okay with having Jesus only, when you're okay to um, have God alone as your source of joy, hope, now you're ready to be married. That doesn't mean you're going to get married. Now you're ready. Does that make sense? Watch. When you're able, when you're able to be like, God, I don't care what you give me, but it'd be great if I have kids, but I'm okay if I don't. Now you're ready. Okay? Okay? Uh, listen, if I get that job, great, God, I, I would love that job, but I'm okay even if I don't. I'm okay, God, if I get the coronavirus or if I don't. You with me? It, it changes everything. So listen, because that's how, a, that's how a son or daughter of God acts. They understand that he has an, a way better view of what you need and what you don't need, what would spoil you, what wouldn't spoil you, what would draw you closer to him, what would push you away. And we have got to learn to trust him. So the question I have this morning, do you view God as a son or a slave? You can say daughter, just doesn't have an S word in it. Do you view God as a son or a slave? And uh, the, one of the reasons why we take communion is to remember what Jesus has done for us to redeem us so that we could be adopted. And so uh, every week we take communion. And, um, and Jesus instituted this because he knew we'd forget and we'd go back to slavery all the time. On the night before he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. In other words, he also said, I'm the bread of life. What that means is your soul feeds on Jesus like your stomach feeds on this bread. That's our heart towards him. In that same way, the night uh, he was betrayed, he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that Jesus' blood that was shed for us heals us, forgives us, renews us, starts us brand new. And I know in a time of, of fears, we're not going to be like just suck it up and everyone's going to take communion like we always do, which is we all use the same piece of bread and dip in the same chunk of wine or grape juice. So this morning we have available uh, for everybody uh, old school communion like we, I did in some of the churches I've been in. And that's where you peel off uh, the bread very carefully so it doesn't go fly on your neighbor. And then you take the, the bread and then you peel off the juice, which represents Jesus' blood. I know it was the first for a lot of us, so um, we'll take in communion as we normally do, but instead of the bread and wine, we take in bread and wine, juice. And uh, if you wouldn't mind being a good steward of it, don't just leave it on your chair when you're done. <laughs> like, put it in the trash. That'd be really helping us all out. So I want to pray with us, uh, and I, I want us to just really respond to God. And if there's something you're enslaved to, I want you to pray with someone about that. So I'm going to ask my prayer team to come forward. And here's what they're coming forward for, okay? So a couple things. One, if, if you're stuck in the wrong view of God, I want you to come say, have of a view of God as judge dad or uh, absent dad or random dad or you fill in the blank dad. It isn't the God of the Bible dad, okay? And I need help. I need help. And I want you to receive, and maybe for some of you, you've never received anything because you don't ever want to admit you have help or you need help. And so just you sitting here like, I'm never going to go up there and I really wish I could go up there, but if I go up there, people think there's something wrong with me. Listen, there's something wrong with you. It's called sin. And if you think you're the, the, you know, the exception to the rule, then how much greater you need to go up here and receive prayer, okay? I mean, we're all broken people. And so this isn't like the messed up people come forward. This is the people come forward because we're all messed up. And if you maybe for the first time have heard the gospel that Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back. And it's not about you, it's about him and what he has done for you. And you never click that. This morning is a time for you to understand what he's done for you and receive the gift. And you come and you tell somebody about that. Or if you're enslaved to something, you confess and repent. Remember, there's this great verse, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How awesome is that? James 5, 16 says, if confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confession to God is forgiveness. You have that when you receive Jesus. Healing comes when you confess to another person, you allow them to pray the gospel over you and it starts to take the poison out of your soul. So this morning, we're gonna pray. You have a time to receive Jesus up here and a time to confess and repent. And then we're gonna take communion. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are in complete control, that you are the God of the universe and there is nothing that can separate us from your love. So Lord, I'm praying that somebody for the first time feeling enslaved to the darkness and sickness of sin, maybe enslaved to a way of living that is wrong. God, I pray that your grace would just penetrate a heart and they would open up their heart and their mind and say, God, you are so good. And I trust you. 
I may have had a judge dad. I may have had an absent dad. I may have had a random dad. I may have had an abusive dad. I may have had a fill-in-the-blank dad, but I know you're not that dad. You are holy and perfect and loving and strong, and uh, you discipline us, but you always love us. You don't discipline for your own like fun. You discipline us for our good, your glory. So God, I pray that right now we could receive that and we could trust you in that. If there's anything that we need to repent of, we would. And so Lord, during this time, would somebody, maybe Holy Spirit, would you work on them and they would confess that you are Lord for the first time. And they might come up and let somebody know that and help usher them into the kingdom of God and they would take communion maybe for the first time. And God, I'm praying that somebody here who's been enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, Although they have a, have a, they're heirs, they're sons and daughters of God, they're living like slaves, would you allow them the freedom to come up here, be prayed over, and start to walk in that freedom? Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.